Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. These are the first words that we have said by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, the first words recorded. And they're a bit of a manifesto, aren't they? And with a state election on the horizon and a federal election soon after that, we're going to be hearing a few manifestos, or at least I hope we are, because that's the job of a political party, is to tell us what they plan to do. We've been a bit bereft of manifestos and policies of late. Uh, You might remember the last election. I bet you can't remember any policies that the, the current government suggested that they might enact. That's We're just not so good at it, but we would like some, wouldn't we? We would like to hear what a person plans to do if they're elected. Jesus, of course, begins by quoting the ancient sources. He begins by going back and saying... I'm speaking out of the great tradition. What I'm going to tell you is not some idea that I just thought of or something that I think will help me be popular. This is in the grand tradition of who we are as a nation. Listen to this. Listen to these words. We need to remember who we are and where we're from where we come. Isaiah was written over a great length of time. Richard was talking about this a couple of weeks ago when we had a section from Isaiah. It's written, we know, at least in three parts from different eras uh, of the the life of the Jewish nation going through incredible turmoil. And it speaks to great hope and great possibility and to great despair. It is full of the hope of the nation and the pain of the nation's inability to live up to itself and live up to its ideals. A perfect reading, you might think, for Australia Day. Because we're contested about it, aren't we? We don't know whether it's a day of mourning, whether it's Invasion Day, whether it's a day of celebration. It's contested and 
that's the nature of, of, a, of a nation like Australia that's still trying to understand itself. It is Invasion Day. There's still a statue in Hyde Park that says that Captain Cook in 1770 discovered this land. We're still fiddling with all of that stuff. But of course, it's not as simple as just saying Invasion Day because Australia has made itself into a nation of significance. And we're not that sure about Australia Day anyway. It was the day that New South Wales was proclaimed as a colony. South Australia didn't get into the idea of Australia Day until a decade after Federation, 2010 or 2011. And then the story goes that we did it mostly because we really, did, really needed a public holiday in the middle of summer. And here's one that's just turned up, that'll do. Not, um, doesn't sound sort of glorious, doesn't sound like Independence Day, does it, in the United States. We're conflicted by the whole thing. In my view, we should be celebrating January 1st, Australia Day. Henry Parks, in his great Tenderfield oration, said, we should be able to do what the Americans have done by war, Australians should be able to bring about by peace. Uh, our populations were very similar at the, at the time uh, that, Hark, uh, that Parks was speaking, the Tenderfield oration back in um, 1889, I think. Um, we, we had the similar sort of population, so we could see ourselves in similar ways. Now, of course, we didn't bring it about by peace. He completely ignored the frontier wars and all of the horror that has gone on. And if Australia, the, if Australia Day is the wrong day, and that's, you could debate that, that's just my view, the sentiment is not wrong. The idea that we should be able to coalesce around an idea of what it means to be a nation, of what it means to have courage and honesty to tell the truth about our history and our current circumstances. We, we are not a nation that can stand up with great pride in the way we treat each other, certainly not in the way we treat newly arrived people to these shores and certainly not to the First Nations people. And ideas of jingoism or, you know, Australian values or the Australian people want this or all Australians want this or um, all of those kinds of things of, that we've had. Uh, working people, working families was Julia Gillard's one. Um, you know, there's all kinds of statements we've used to sort of gloss over how complicated it is to be a people. But Australia Day, the idea of it does speak to the idea that we should be able to speak with truth and honesty about our situation, but we should not lose sight of the great hope that we could have to be a nation on the planet that is committed to fairness and justice and love and honesty. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Because when Jesus says, I have come to preach good news to the poor and to release the captives... And to proclaim the nation, the, the year of the Lord's favour, which by the way most scholars believe attaches to the idea of the year of Jubilee, which is this extraordinary idea that the ancient Hebrews had, that every 50 years all debts should be forgiven and everything should go back the way it was. So if you had to hand over land in order to pay a debt that you've found yourself in, you get that land back. It was a brilliant idea. Unfortunately, no one has been able to find anywhere in the record, the archaeological records or the written records, ever a, a chance where it looked like it was ever done. 
And you can imagine why, because who's going to lose out if you have a year of debt forgiveness? Exactly. And who runs the country? You get it? You can understand why it never kind of happened. But it's a, you can see what it reaches for. is a desire to live that way, to be that kind of people. But the story that Jesus tells when he preaches from Isaiah is it hasn't happened. I proclaim good news to the poor because there are poor. But we're a nation that, that if we'd have done the 50 years, that shouldn't have happened. We're a nation under oppression by the Roman Empire. Jesus is speaking truth and honesty. He's, he, as he quotes Isaiah from so many hundreds of years before, and he's, he says it, what he's saying is this isn't the case, so it needs to be the case, but let's be honest, and it isn't the case. And of course, we could do with the same honesty and courage. The ability to do what this reading does, listen to the small, the people not normally heard, the poor, the oppressed, those affirmed with blindness, infirmed with blindness, all the small voices that are much easier sort of pushed aside, much easier sort of left behind because, well, we've just got to get on with things. We've got to open up the economy. Oh, sure, you know, some people are going to suffer, but, 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 but what about the economy? What if we were a nation that paid serious attention to everybody? People at the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, those with the least amount of power. We might make quite different decisions and we might have political parties bringing us quite different manifestos for these coming elections. But Jesus, remember, doesn't just say these words into the air. He says a couple of times in Luke and earlier on when Jesus is... The prediction of Jesus' birth comes in the first chapter and then the second chapter. There's a lot of talk about Jesus being filled with or coming in the power of the Spirit. He's filled with the power of the Spirit and then he begins this reading by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Spirit is the essence, the, it, it, the essential truth of something. It's the whole true energy of something. The Spirit of the Lord, the energy of the way the world ought to be, the way the world God intended it to be, is on me. It's upon me, it's through me, it's, it's a part of me, it's animating who I am, is what Jesus is saying. And it's a different kind of power than the people of that day were used to and that the, day, the people of our day are used to. It's not the power of riches and it's not the power of prestige. It's a different power, it's the power of humanity, the power of ordinariness. The power of the small and the forgotten. The power of compassion for everyone. It's the power for the big and the, uh, and, and the powerful, but only if it's also the power for the quiet and the small. In this moment, Jesus is saying, I am so tuned into the essential nature of the way the world ought to be and is in its deep truth that I speak out of that energy out of the sacredness of all creation, as Walt Whitman spoke to. Not just to tradies, not just to battlers, not just to working Australians or any other little group that we think somehow speaks for all of us. And not just for the animals that we love, the polar bears, 
balancing on a piece of ice or koala. But the whole ecosystem, this is what we're called to. And it can't just be for rich tennis players who get to fly home first class. While people in this very same hotel who've been there as many as nine years get completely ignored. It can't be. This is not power. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. And you know what gets even more frightening is that later on in Luke, Jesus makes it pretty clear that that same spirit, that same energy of the meaning and purpose of the universe, the same essence of everything is on you and me. No wonder his disciples didn't know how to deal with it. They thought he was talking about the people you should be talking about, Herod, the king, all the people that, that Luke mentions at the right of the very beginning of his, of his gospel. Herod, the king, the emperor, the governor, all of those people, they're the ones that should be doing it. They're the ones that can make the difference. It should be about what Scott Morrison does. It should be about what Anthony Albanese does and Stephen Marshall. They're the... But Jesus makes it clear all the way through. It's on you. You are filled with the true essence and meaning of the universe. You are filled with the power that can change things. I don't want to hear that. It's it's humid. I I just like to sit down and have a cup of tea. but, But that's the truth. If I ignore that, if you ignore that, I ignore the essence of what it means to be me. And then I just sleepwalk through my life. And if I'm really in a bad way, I then blame everyone else for the situation that I'm in. And sure, there's lots of situations where we have, there's, and there's lots of blame to go around. But what does it mean for me to pay attention to the idea, the possibility, that the same energy that's animating Jesus in this moment could be animating me? I want to finish with a a wonderful quote which connects to this, I think. It's from uh, Galaroy Unipingu, who should be amongst the best-known Australians. Uh, If Australia was ever to have a royal family, it would be the Unipingus. They are an extraordinary family. Garawoy's father was a great leader uh, of the Yongle Nation and uh, a great spokesperson for Indigenous Affairs. Um, He himself... Um, is a great leader. He was Australian of the Year in 1978. Uh, his brothers, one ran the band, Yofu Yindi, and was himself Australian of the Year in the 90s. Uh, another brother, um, Gurumul, uh, who sadly died, uh, became one of the biggest selling recording artists in Australia. And there are many other things you could tell you, I could tell you about the Unipingus. They should be better known than they are. But in 2016, Galaroy Unipingu uh, had a special event said these words. Sacrifice from strength is the key to leadership. My father, Mungawoy, had to sacrifice much, too much, to reconcile his life with the ways of the modern world, but he did so. What Aboriginal people ask is that the modern world now makes the sacrifices necessary to give us a real future. See, these are the voices from the small and the quiet. To relax its grip on us, to let us breathe, to let us be free of the determined control exerted to make us like you. And you should take that a step further 
and recognise us for who we are and not who you want us to be. Let us be who we are, Aboriginal people in the modern world, and be proud of us. Acknowledge that we have survived the worst that the past has thrown at us and we are here with our songs, our ceremonies, our land, our language, our people, our full identity. What a gift that is that we can give you if you choose to accept us in a meaningful way. Amen.